You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals Hello in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK principal David Leach. David, I trust you are well. Charles, I'm well. I trust you're well. I'm well despite uh, upgrading the electricity system in the house. A harrowing experience, I can tell you, and not finished yet. But I, we shouldn't spend too much time, you and I, talking because what a great guest we had today. It's always nice to have a very senior figure from the, from the industry uh, talking Absolutely. about how they Absolutely. And um, I think we'll just get straight into it without further ado and maybe sort of throw in our sort of tuppence worth at the end of it. But um, earlier on today, we had the opportunity to speak to Jeff Dimery. He's the CEO of Alinta Energy, one of the major players in the Australian energy scene, um, owner of a bunch of wind farms over in WA, uh, most notably the Loyang B coal generator in Victoria and a bunch of other assets scattered around the place in the major retailer, both of electricity and gas um, around the country too. And um, let's have a listen. Jeff Dimery, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to the Energy Insiders podcast. Pleasure as always, Charles. So much to talk about. Um, Linter's um, one of the key plays in the national grid and also the WA grid, of course. Uh, and there's a lot happening around at the moment, including the switch to five-minute trading or five-minute settlements, the ESB rules, um, a bunch of different things. But my interest was prompted by an interview you gave recently to the West Australian newspaper, and you're talking about $6 billion investment in renewables coming up. Um, some going to be announced sometime very soon. I'm just wondering what you can tell us about these big renewable energy announcements. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine as that coming as a surprise to anybody really, Giles, given that we're, we're really in the heart of this transformation from a, a higher emitting uh, energy industry to a low emissions energy industry. So that means assets are going to have to be replaced across the board. Mm. And, uh, and that's going to take you know, many, 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 many times the multiple of the number we've talked about. Um, but, um, yeah, we're, we're very keen to play our part in that energy transition. And we do have quite a number of renewable projects that uh, have been uh, under development uh, and planning for some time that we're getting more confident to talk about now as we as we progress. So um, I'm very happy to talk to you where I can and Obviously, yeah. um, where I can't, I'll just uh, have to wait a bit longer to, to disclose. Well, let's, 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 let's just start off with WA, because I think you've said that one third of these, um, this investment will be in WA. Um, I look at the WA grid and think that, my gosh, I'm not too sure how much room for more renewables there is at the moment, given the existing coal and gas capacity is probably not going anywhere anytime soon. Or is this a big development in the north of the state that could be linked with um, other plans that, like hydrogen or something like that? What's, um, yeah. What can you tell us about it? Um, more, more in the north. So yes. your, I guess your instincts about the, the Swiss are right. Not uh, Having said that, we do see some incremental development taking part or taking place in the, the southwest interconnected system. And uh, just as you're aware, we've, we've lodged a planning application uh, 
uh, for a, a 100 megawatt battery to be installed at wager up mm. um, there's also an ability um, to expand uh, on the and wind farm which we've been delighted with from a uh, commercial perspective uh, in the early days of its operation um, mm -hmm. but the focus in the west is more in the north as you point out we've been monitoring for a couple of years now um, the wind speeds up there in in the pilbara and we're looking to augment our existing investments in solar and battery uh, our transition to efficient gas to support the renewables um, and now we're seriously looking at the connection of uh, of wind farm developments um, up in the pilbara and there's uh to put a number on that, we believe we're looking at across a, a number of sites, uh, around about 300 megawatts is what we think, um, excluding any sort of grand plan for export market beyond the shore. Yes. Uh, but certainly to help the uh, local large industry who have specific objectives around carbon reduction to optimise that entire system in the Pilbara, we think around 300 megawatts is is eminently doable so if you inject 300 megawatts into that grid and you've got some plans for um well there's there's the solar already i think started at chichester there's more Correct. solar planned um by fortescue for that extended part of that grid you're talking you've got a battery at mount newman that we've talked about before you've got another one coming up i think in your little network around port headland so what sort of share of renewables are we talking up in this sort of very sort of industry-based grid um up in the north of um, wa yeah, we, we've been doing some extensive modelling, not just on our assets in the region, but also the major miners. And uh, we we can foresee, given the existing technology available um, and taking into account um, cost, certainly at least a 50% reduction in carbon over the next decade. Um, but we've also been modelling uh, what would need to be done to uh, get to numbers of 80% reduction. Um, and at the moment, that's from an economic viability point of view, it, it does start to get tight to, to lose the last 20%. Mm. Um, but uh, we're very optimistic. We can help our customers in the region and the broader community drive down to those sorts of levels. Jeff, could I, could I just ask a little bit, because I think what you're building or been part of building is uh, is a new grid, as Giles keeps referring to it. Could you talk a little bit about the load characteristics? Is it is it is it uh, what is the total load up there? And is it is it? I'm assuming it's a reasonably flat load, uh, being industrial based. And is it seasonal at all? Um, so there's kind of two markets, uh, David, in in the Pilbara that we see. There's the the port market around Port Hedland, um, or the coastal market, and then the inland market. Um, there's a lot more surge, um, if you like, around the port region. You've got more of a community um, living there, but also um, it's related to the loading and unloading of, of ships and the like, um, whereas inland tends to be more... Um, production does go up and down over time, but it is fairly static uh, type base load, if you like um that that's characteristic that we do see and and to meet the uh surge uh you'll do that with the gas or something or, or the batteries that are, that are also planned i mean 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we're we're doing a few things. One, we're looking at a a wind farm, um, uh, which uh, clearly there are cyclone issues. That's so never easy, but um, we're looking at a wind farm in the north there. We're also looking at, as we've done at the Newman Power Station, we're currently working through our efficiency program there with these gas reciprocal reciprocating engines. Um, we'd be looking to do something very similar um, at Port Hedland to, to improve the efficiency of that particular power station. We upgraded already um, to an aero derivative unit there a little while back. Uh, for for efficiency in the first instance, this would be a stage two, in addition to the battery um, coming in. But the the big part of all of this for us, ultimately, and the way to really unlock value in that region, is to complete the transmission connection um, from our inland facilities to our port facilities. Yeah, and, I think that's very um, exciting. Sorry. Yeah, that that's where it all comes together. Um, you know, when I joined Alinta, which was 11 years ago, it was a little bit of a pipe dream. Um, however, we've built the transmission line from Newman to Roy Hill and then from Roy Hill now across to um, Christmas Creek and, and Cloud Break at Chichester. Um, and uh, uh, FMG themselves have plans to um, build uh, north of, of, of that facility uh, to Ironbridge. And so the gap, the remaining gap in that transmission link is, um, you know, eminently doable, David. So that that's when it re gets really exciting for us. And oh, go go, Charles. No, no, no. You, you continue on. You continue on, David. Well, I, I, I um, West Australia is really interesting, and we could talk about the West Australian uh, Alinta retail gas business. But I'd like to come back to the East Coast, uh, which is the other mm -hmm. half of Belinda's business. And, and talk a little bit about all the things that are going on here. And I guess when I look at uh, Luoyang B, which is probably by far your biggest single asset, and across the whole brown coal sector, but you, you guys are ramping quite a lot. You know, if I look at September this year, you know, you're yeah. peaking up around 1150 megawatts each day and uh, on average and going down to close to 800. It's a lot more curvy mm -hmm. than it was last year. I just, yeah. um, you know, can you do more than that or how's it going and how do you feel about that? Yeah, so I'm not sure whether it's a blessing or a curse, David, but we've probably got, you know, the newest, most um, efficient coal-fired generator. Um, and I say I'm not sure because I'm genuinely not sure, depending on which way the market goes and the degree of tolerance for, for such assets into the future. What we have done is we've spent uh, in the vicinity of um, uh, $250 million improving the flexibility um, of that plant and its efficiency so that we can play, uh, I guess, a more dynamic role in the market as we see other coal-fired power stations disappearing from the grid. And I think that's really important. Uh, in terms of energy affordability and energy security. So, um, for instance, we've been able to run, as you've uh, uh, observed and noticed, um, at much lower uh, stable generating levels. So I think the other day we were down around 200 megawatts on, on one of the units. We can get down to 300 on the other. So we could go as low as 500. 
um, today. And yes, we can ramp quickly. So if the need's there, we you know we have that capability to um, to fulfil that need in the marketplace. And some of us, do you foresee that you could do that as a matter of course uh, every day? I mean, it, you will need to go lower next year, assuming solar yes. keeps going and nothing else changes. And and you, you're yeah. happy that's a sort of uh, doable thing. Yes, I am. Yes, and and so that that's been a goal of ours. I mean, you know, we could see this coming uh, for quite a while, um, and so that has been our goal. And and I'm pleased to say, you know, we've um, uh, we've made significant inroads in in our capability to do that, and I am confident we can do it stably, repeatedly. Yes, that's great. And um, uh, can I ask about price generally? And this is just an observation, but you know, as compared to last year, and in Victoria, and just using September, which is spring, and it starts to get, you know, this is when you get the low prices. Even in Victoria, we're regularly seeing negative prices in the middle of the day now. But yes. the actual peak prices at 6pm are higher than last September. And that would be even more pronounced if I looked, you know, uh, across New South Wales and Queensland, that sort of bigger spread. Yes. Uh, I was just wondering if what you would say about that. I mean, it's, to me, it looks like, you know, more batteries would be an obvious sort of uh, comment to make. But uh, I guess why are the peak prices higher? That's uh, that's the first question. Yeah, it comes down to, um, I guess, fundamental. fundamentally, David, it comes down to the economics and, um, you know, that the duck curve or, or, or the depressed prices during the day uh, means that certain facilities don't want to be there. Um, otherwise, they're, they're basically penalised for, for, for operating. And then in the evening, um, when the sun starts to go down or the wind isn't blowing as strongly, um, you're seeing a, a cost, if you like, um, for those facilities needing to come back into the market. They've got less time to recover their costs. Um, and it's more expensive on a marginal basis to operate that way. So I don't think that would be a surprise. Um, and certainly, again, our expectation was that uh, this was the way that the market would ultimately go um, based on what we were seeing in, in international markets. So, you know, we had a good heads up that we would be here. Um, as to your question of batteries, uh, look, I think a combination of the changing um, profile, net profile we see on the system and the introduction of the five-minute uh, market settlement uh, lends itself to further investments in battery, no question. What's been your impression of the first five? Um, we've, had, we've had five-minute trading for about a week now, I think. Um, any great insights, any surprises? Um, how does that change the way that um, you, um, Elinta manages its portfolio? Yeah, um, it's early days, as you point out, Giles, but um, we've seen a couple of market spikes uh, to uh, maximum price in in Queensland. Um, we've got you know pretty efficient uh, open cycle gas at Braemar, but um, you know we've been caught out already um, a couple of times on those five minute spikes, so you can't recover it like you mm. used to be able to. Um, so what does that mean? I guess it means we need to think about battery, but it also means that if, if that were to persist um, longer term, I think that, that results in a higher cost to consumers. So it's just 
how does the market respond to that um, to ensure that that doesn't end up being the case. Could you explain then what you mean by caught out and also perhaps give some yeah. insight into what's causing those um, spikes to go to 15000 or whatever the market price cap is yeah. at the moment? So, so caught out, it, it, it's, I guess it's just a physical characteristic of our plant. If we're not already in the market and operating when that price event occurs, by the time that we're able to f start up our plant and sink to the grid and be ready to generate while well, we're into the, the following five minutes and that price has disappeared. Ah. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, if we've uh, put in place contracts, um, whether it be cap products or, or swaps, then, you know, we're on the wrong side of that because we haven't been able to generate to protect the, the downside. Um, so perhaps we'll see a changing of um, as we roll into next financial year or even next calendar, year, you might start to see some changes in the way that contracts are, are written uh, based on plant characteristics. So I'm what, not what's, sure what, yet. What's, what's pushed the price up in the first place? Um, I haven't. I haven't looked into the detail of that. Mm, I have okay. to say, so apologies. I haven't sat down with the trading team to to understand, but uh, I dare say it will be a combination of um, increased demand over over a short time cycle, and perhaps either that or loss of plant, or a combination of both, yeah. and some rebidding um, by generators. Sounds like you need a battery. <laughs> Um, well, it's certainly worth looking at, that's for sure. <laughs> Can, um, um, David's uncharacteristically pausing, so I'm going to leap in with another question about um, the ESB and the uh, change in market rules. Now, you are yes. one of the few companies um, expressing support for the PRRO, um, the, the new capacity payment, although I have to say that your support was sort of tempered and you, you, you're, you're, you're worried about some aspects of it. It seems to most people now that that option has largely disappeared. There might be some form of capacity mechanism, but if you listen to the New South Wales and Victorian ministers, they want to make sure, and the ACT minister, they want to make sure it's encouraging new capacity um, investment. Now, you're an owner of a very large um, coal plant in Victoria. How are you looking at this? But, but, but you're also going to be an investor in, in, in new capacity as well. So yeah, what's your reaction to the ESB results and where do you hope it can go now? Um, disappointed is, is what I would say. I mean, again, as you highlighted, we were in favour of, of a, a broader capacity market. We observe that being the case in the West and we've been successfully able to implement renewable assets into that environment. Um, and we would like to be able to do so um, on the East Coast as well. Um, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that we'd spent, you know, north of a quarter of a billion dollars increasing the flexibility of, of our plant to deliver exactly the types of services required. So to then be excluded um, on, on what I would largely canvas as political grounds, I find, you know, disappointing is what I would say. Having said that, um, you know, we, we're not religious, we're pragmatic. And I think that ultimately um, there needs to be a, a, a smooth transition that's creditable to a low carbon economy. And, and so we do have to deal with coal-fired plant closures and, and quite a number of them. Mm. But I think it's really important we do that in an orderly way. And certainly if you look at our submission to the ESB, 
you know, there's been this term coal keeper flung around. I, I didn't read any submissions that espoused prolonging the life of coal. Um, I, I did read submissions that were, if you like, aimed at making sure that coal wasn't prematurely retired from the market. And I don't think there should be any apology for that because the, the transition needs to be smooth. It needs to be affordable. So, so, uh, and this is a question I think that we could explore. You know, globally, that's 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 is the exact issue. And uh, you know, where I landed on it, Jeff, is that you need to build the new capacity, uh, 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 pretty much all the new capacity that you actually need before you close the old capacity. And I guess my complaint about the mechanism was that it didn't, uh, as proposed, it didn't seem to have a, a way of building the new capacity. Could I just, uh, 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 first of all, last time we spoke on this, uh, you spoke to Energy Insiders, you, you mentioned you weren't sort of signing up LYB beyond, I think, about 2032. Uh, I seem to recall you making that comment. Uh, did I, do I remember that right? And is that still the case? No, that's a rarings 2032, David. We, our design life is 2047. Um, having said that, but that's not. I, I, I know that, that. But that's not actually what yeah. you said to us last time. No, no, night. and yeah, no, no. I and I'm not going to back away from the fact that I, I think there's minimal, if any, chance that you know we would be operating that asset in 2047. Let me say, um, and I think what I said to you is I wouldn't be surprised if if it were to come shortly after the end of this current decade, um, that 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 might be the the, the date. Um, uh, you know, I I I. I would have said at the time, and I'd say now, I mean, um, unfortunately, I can't predict that particular outcome with any degree of certainty whatsoever, but I know it's coming. And I, as I have said, we're, we're probably the last one standing if you go to a basis of, of uh, efficiency and um, reliability uh, as far as assets are concerned in that regard. Um, I absolutely categorically uh, agree with you that we need a mechanism that encourages new generation, um, but you can't turn your back on existing generation and completely ignore it in in the same uh, on on the same page. Because if you do that, you will end up with the situation that you're seeing in Europe, um, and quite frankly, we've seen to a degree in Texas as well uh, when they had their really cold winter and and there were some problems with both renewables and gas um, that that played out in in Texas. So I think there's enough of a signal out there. And I don't, this is not about being alarmist either. Um, you know, if I play back what you said, David, you're talking about an insurance policy and we can't ignore that and we need to take out that policy. Well, there are, there are um, two bits of it, Jeff, I think. There's the insurance policy, but there's also the uh, carrot for the new guys. You need both bits. Yes. Uh, yep. uh, uh, yep. uh, uh, and, and, and I think consumers will have to pay one way or another, or taxpayers, because you're going to have to deal with too much capacity through the, through the transition. That's been my uh, okay. view for a while. And, and yep. uh, I mean, do you think, I mean, it just, I wanted to get back to this marginal costs of, of, of running at uh, less than 100% output uh, because it's a very interesting thing. But just before that, you know, it, it does raise the question of whether the market can deliver all this by itself or, or, I mean, you know, do you think it'd be easier if we had like a formal, if coal plants could bid in 
and we could have a you know a schedule of closures and and, and returns to each plant and 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 that would give more confidence around building the new stuff or do you think we should just let the the market work it all out for itself uh i think the former of what you were proposing sounds really sensible given given the recent developments and announcements by various state governments and their participation or, or support of the ESB capacity market. Um, if that's not to be an option, then I think we should basically auction off the right to, to close or stay open to provide market certainty. Um, and, uh, and there is a price for that. I actually think that'll give you a more efficient outcome and greater certainty for future investment, David. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've been sort of an advocate of that, but I, 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 central planning doesn't always, you know, sometimes letting the market yep. work it out. We all want the market to work, but sometimes it just needs a, uh, a, 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 some guardrails, I think is the phrase that I've heard used, or guide, guardrails. Yeah, well, you know, we, I hear you and I, I've got a lot of empathy. My starting point would always be let the market work it out. But I think... The market is in such a state now. There's so much. Um, there's been so much tinkering or interference, in, for want of a better word, um, in the market that you know it's finding it difficult to work it out. It's kind of half pregnant. Um, and, and you know, again, uh, I would highlight you know the rules around, for instance, um, if if it's uneconomic to operate a coal-fired power station you've still got to give the market notice to withdraw from the market these days. Um, so you kind of feel like, do you want us or don't you want us? On the one hand, you don't want to include us in new programs like capacity markets. On the other hand, you're saying, you know, you have no right to leave. It's, it's kind of like you've been forced to come to a party and you're not enjoying yourself and you're just not allowed to go. Yeah. You've got to be the last one here. We've all we've all been there, Jeff. I'm pretty sure we've been to a few racehorse events that have been like that. But anyway, correct. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go home after race two. That's right. Jeff, um, given all that, um, you know, we started off talking about your your big plans. I think you sort of um, told the last newspaper interview six billion dollars investment in renewables um, coming up soon. You've given us a bit of an insight into what you're planning into Western Australia with a three hundred megawatt wind farm or something around in that order. So, what are you planning in the eastern states? I mean, um, I don't know how much you can tell us, but maybe you can tell us what sort of thing and where sure. and how quickly. And and why, given this market uncertainty that you just referred to? Yeah. Um, well, look, firstly, uh, as much information as I can give you on this one is that we believe fundamentally to replace coal-fired generation, we're going to need large-scale offshore wind. Mm. Um, and we're pleased with the recent developments in that space uh, and announcements by the federal government. We've been working on some opportunities in in that regard for a period of time yeah. and we've actually um in the process of uh acquiring some uh, sodar equipment to firm up what we believe to be an excellent resource um we've got uh, a customer involved with that and uh, we're looking to progress uh what will be a circa 1000 plus megawatt wind farm development that we're excited about but i can't tell you any more um, because we've Can got another party involved and we've signed confidentiality. So Okay, I'm going to try and break that confidentiality a little bit. Um, there's been about a dozen or so different sort of projects identified by different uh, various early stage developers. Is it mm -hmm. one of those or is it something we haven't heard no. of yet? 
something okay. we haven't heard of yet. Um, oh, okay. So I, I will say that um, we have had discussions with, with governments, etc. Mm-hmm. We think it's the most exciting of any offshore wind project, but um, like you've highlighted, it's a race. Yes. Um, but I would point out that we were pretty much the first to adopt our battery was, in fact, the largest battery when it was installed. Um, like a and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'd also say that uh, when we first started building onshore wind um, back in the day, I was certainly at uh, AGL at the time, but we built most of the early developments in that regard. Power station, which was the biggest in 50 years at that yeah. point. So a bit of a track record of liking to go first with this stuff. Well, okay, a couple of quick questions because I can't resist it. Um, can you give us a state, New South Wales, Victoria, no, Tasmania? No, okay. no, no uh, fl- flo- f- Floating or shallow? Shallow. Okay, Actually, Jeff, I'd, I'd like to ask generally about offshore wind without even your project coming up. Uh, it's just that uh, it's, it's, you know, it's good but, and the, the um, output's probably more correlated with demand, but it still seems to me that in Australia... Uh, the costs end up being quite a lot higher than onshore wind. And, uh, and uh, how do you think about that generally? I think about that. By, I've got to be careful. I don't want to say too much here, but we, we know all of that, David, and we're still very excited. There are ways to deal with certain things, and I'm, I just can't go any further. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not into wasting my time and, and my development team's time. Uh, we're spending a lot of money on capital at this point to make this a reality, and we wouldn't do it if we didn't think it wouldn't be economic. That's very interesting. Can I get back to battery storage? Because we, we sort of teased at it um, a couple of times um, during the conversation, five-minute settlement and DSB stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We had a great conversation last time on this podcast about the Mount Newman battery. Um, since then, you've got another plan for another battery at Pill. Um, it, um, at, um, Wade, you're uh, up. Wager up. Um, do you have yeah. one at Port Hedland as well, or is that a solar farm? We, I can't remember. No, no, we're, we're looking at that as well. Yeah. Yeah, tell us more about the, the, the Mount Newman battery. Last time you spoke to us, it was going gangbusters. It was five yep. year payback. Um, yep. It's now got an extra bit of kit at the end of the line to, to help manage the Chichich the solar farm, which I presume is up and running now. Yeah, so it's done a number of things. I mean, firstly, it's economic, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, it, it's it's improved the quality of supply to our customers. So it helps ride through faults on the system and things like that without putting them offline. And that's more valuable for them than you can imagine, quite frankly. So it's made our customers very happy. And then the third thing is it's become an enabler for you know more renewables to join. So it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving from our perspective. Um, and, and look, I'd be lying to say that we had anticipated the degree of benefit that we're experiencing from the battery, not not purely from an economic sense, but in, in the sense of that ability to continue to develop. Uh, and I guess, you know, we've all got great hopes for the uh, system services, and I guess the batteries will have quite a role to play in that in your uh, your fledgling uh, northwest uh, grid. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. Um, so... You know, I talked about having modelled efficiencies and getting carbon levels down, and that's a combination of efficient gas, solar, wind, and battery that delivers that outcome. So um, 
we, we see more of that. The, the, the one thing we were just talking East Coast renewables and um, a big chunk of that six billion we haven't talked about is the Oven Mountain pumped hydro. Um, and that is in New South Wales. That's on public record, so I can disclose. Um, we're excited by that. And it goes a little bit to the questions you were asking about five-minute settlement and what we do about that. Um, that project is 600 megawatt capacity and uh, has 12 hours worth of generation um, sitting behind it. And again, we, we think that's a really exciting project and it's a, a project for the future. Uh, it will help us integrate these renewable projects I'm talking about, and we see it as a, a really important part of the energy mix going forward. Yeah, and it's it's interesting on that one too because that's part of the New South Wales sort of infrastructure roadmap, and I guess it's going to be located in the middle of one of the renewable energy zones. Are you what's your, what's your view on that? Um, it's got mostly sort of a very positive response because this is a plan, this is a vision to transition the state basically a coal coal grid to renewables. But there's a a, a bit of mumbling around. Oh, this is a bit, mu- bit too much like central planning and stuff like that. Are you happy with that sort of process? I mean, will that project be dependent on landing a contract with the state government? Or can it go independently? Uh, what's um, what's your thinking there? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out um, in terms of landing a contract with the state government. It may be necessary, but I think you know we we would all acknowledge we're in sort of exceptional times here as we transition, and I think there needs to be a commitment to get from where we are to where we need to be. Um, at, at the core of what we were saying, we want to encourage new generation. If you want to start retiring coal-fired power stations, then having facilities like the Oven Mountain Pumped Hydro is the way to achieve that. Um, you know, we, we're excited by this project because of its cost structure specifically. Um, it is, uh, by its nature, it's got a very short tunnel between the uh, – or shorter tunnel certainly than something like Snowy 2.0. Um, so there's a lot less work that needs so to go into it. The expressway is shorter than that, though, Jeff. So it's not much of a comparison. I'd be more interested in the comparison yeah. with Lyle. But... Yeah, yeah. So, um, but look, it's for us, it's a game changer, and it will complement um, the the renewables that we're looking at. For instance, you know, offshore and, and elsewhere. Mm. Mm. And, and and when do you expect to make a decision on financing for um, Ovens Mountain? And um, just going back to the wager up um, uh, battery, um, where exactly you are with that one? Uh, so wager up is uh, going, if it's not already gone through, it's going through the planning phase. So it's well progressed. Okay. Um, and uh, the answer to Oven Mountain is, I would expect that um, we'd be in a position to make an announcement on that in the next 18 months. We certainly continue to to spend on the development and feasibility, um, and we've worked very constructively with the state government um, uh, on that, and and they've been really supportive. So, yeah, I I would think 18 months we'd be in a position to uh, be going out for EPC. And, and just another quick quick question. Um, you mentioned Yandin Wind Farm. That's the biggest um, wind farm now, I'm pretty sure it is, in Western Australia, um, opened um, in the last six to 12 months. I think you're expecting 50% capacity factor, uh, such good wind conditions. But are you able to actually get that wind to the market? Because my understanding is, is that north of Perth is a fair few transmission constraints. And um, how you, um, what's the situation there? 
Um, no, we can. There were some issues. There was the cyclone that went through that um, created some uh, some issues where we were constrained for a period um, due to network issues, but mm-hmm. they have been resolved. And yes, we're getting that energy to market. We haven't been constrained off. Okay, cool. Jeff, it's uh, one final question from me, and it's really just uh, your shareholders uh, would have had a fairly fast introduction to Australia, uh, which is uh, we often think is one of the more dynamic power markets in the world. How are they feeling about the whole Alinda experience and, and the, not so much the past, but I think looking forward, are they, do, they, do you guys see a bright future for Alinda? Yeah, it's, look, there's no doubt, David, that it, it's pretty tough in the energy market today and they'd be looking at um, certainly the listed entities and how they're performing and that, that, that wouldn't fill them with a lot of confidence. Um, having said that, Due to the diversity of our portfolio, we've actually stacked up really well um, and stood up well through this. We, a large chunk of our asset base, we, we do receive, for instance, in the West capacity payments. Um, we've got bilateral contracts up in the Pilbara with large counterparties. So we, we're not susceptible, I guess, that to, to the degree that some of our large competitors are around the NEM and the dynamics of the NEM. I wouldn't downplay and say it's unimportant because clearly it does have have an impact. Um, Having said that, what we have seen from our owners is a willingness to invest and you've seen that through um, firstly the acquisition of Loyang, through the development of Yandon and through all the work that we're doing in the Pilbara. They continue to put capital into the business. Um, So, you know, I think their experience is probably better than some um, there's a degree of nervousness about the uncertainty of the future, but there's also a degree of anticipation and optimism that that comes with that uncertainty and our ability to, I guess, take more than our fair share of, of that future market, which, you know, we've got our sights on. And one final question for me, Jeff. Um, the UN and many climate scientists say that to meet the 1.5 degrees scenario, um, developed countries have really got to stop coal generation by the um, within a decade. Um, you are the owner of a significant coal-fired power station in Victoria. Um, can we? Would we? Should we? Um, can we? Would we? Should we? Uh, we should be guided by science. No, no question. Um, that's where I would start. Can we? I'm not sure that we can. Will we get close? I think we will get close, Giles, um, whether that means 100%. Um, and even if it's not 100%, could we be doing other things to offset where we do have some slight overhang? Uh, are there more economic ways at that point um, and less disruptive ways to the entire Australian economy than closing symbolically the last coal-fired power station? Um, I would suggest, you know, pragmatically, there are things we need to look at and consider. Sounds like you're um, wanting to be the last one standing, but um, it, it actually starts like it actually sounds like the start of a whole new conversation, Jeff. But um, I think we probably have to bring it to an end there because we've been going. We've really enjoyed in your your time now uh, that you've given us. So um, thank you very much for joining the podcast. No, no pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you guys. Thank you. And that was Jeff Dimery, the CEO of Alinta Energy. David. Um, Great interview, chock full of information, chock full of news. I guess the striking one was the um, 
announcements or the foreshadowing of a investment into a one gigawatt offshore wind farm. That's particularly interesting. The first major utility to do that. Um, sounds like he's got a customer already um, planning on building um, big wind in the Pilbara. Um, up to date, we've just seen wind, uh, solar, sorry. But of course, people like the Asia Renewable Energy Hub and um, Fortescue have been talking about wind as well. Um, and that's just for starters. Yes, look, I think Alinda's been one of the uh, the biggest mover at the top end of town in, in the way it's uh, firstly got into the industry, perhaps uh, into LYB, and then uh, progressed into, in, into renewables. And, you know, uh, Jeff Dimery did a lot, of, as he said in the interview, for wind at AGL when he was there. So, you know, things happen, uh, and that's that's very interesting. You know, uh, things are interesting in Victoria in a lot of ways. We talked about it on the, on in the interview to some extent, but I know Stockyard Hills up to uh, 200 megawatts of maximum uh, output now, and and so this ongoing change, the increasing share is 300 megawatts on average in the middle of the day more rooftop solar in Victoria this September compared to last September, uh, and of course that's going on all around the NEM in in a major way. We're seeing negative prices uh, pretty much every day at lunchtime at the moment and much bigger gaps between the peak and, and, and the minimum. So the, the headroom is opening up uh, for, for change. Price is actually working in that sense. Well, that's right. Yeah, 900 um, hours or 900 trading intervals, I think, in, in the month of September, so 30 days. So that's at least three per day in the national electricity market. And over September, of course, we saw new uh, records established both in monthly output, uh, 35 over 35%, and some sort of single-day outputs up to 61.7% and some you know um, records for uh, rooftop solar, records for um, minimum demand, all of which play uh, crucially to investors such as Linter, particularly as regards to their coal-fired generators. I was interested too, David, in the storage, um, particularly the reference to the five-minute settlement, um, some um, prices sort of spiking up in Queensland, and um, Jeff Dimmery admitted that um, you know one of their generators wasn't quick enough to take advantage of that, so maybe a battery is needed, um, and also the Evans Mountain um, pumped hydro storage. One of about half a dozen talked about in New South Wales, but he seems deadly serious about it. Oh, and I think uh, Energy Australia is very serious about uh, the Lake Lyle one as well. Look, the most interesting, uh, talking about five-minute settlement, the most interesting uh, uh, table or chart I saw this week was from a GenX presentation talking about their proposed battery where they showed that under five-minute settlement, uh, they would have made essentially a double the spread as under half-hourly spread, uh, under half-hourly settlement uh, in, in Queensland in September. That's one month, but I mean, they're making... I think a total average spread of $400 a megawatt hour, <laughs> that'll justify a battery for sure. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, of course, they've um, they've one of the first to put in, um, um, I thought it was interesting that um, they've been operating that uh, battery up in Mount Newman, which we've talked about extensively in the past, which is still doing very well. Um, they've got a new battery in Wager up and uh, one can't help imagining a lot of other batteries around the grid as well. Look, I'd look forward to uh, Jeff inviting me on a tour over to see the Northwest uh, grid as it's built and, and the various uh, infrastructure there. It's going to be one of the most modern and highly renewable grids, uh, powering iron ore and uh, paving the way for a future that many of us uh, sort of dream of at the moment, which could involve aluminium smelters and the like, uh, where Australia's renewable energy turns out to be some of the... Uh, 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 you know, a great place to do high energy intensive manufacturing and uh, takes back the mantle from China, uh, which has, you know, gone down the wrong path. But we won't talk about that. I think, uh, and we're running out of time. It was a great long interview uh, uh, with Jeff. Uh, uh, the other thing I thought that might be worth mentioning, Giles, is PowerShop. 
uh, is up for sale now. It's been sold by Meridian Energy and down to a short list of bidders there, which includes uh, Iber Adola and and Shell, effectively, two of the guys that are moving bigger and bigger into renewables. I think if you look in Europe, Iberadola would be uh, probably the largest, uh, you know, green credentialed retailer and possibly the largest fully uh, in the world in, in, in some senses. So, you know, adding on the 50-something thousand uh, power shop customers, which is less than 1% of the market, to be fair, uh, uh, could give them a go into that retail space that they could build on. It's going to get to be a crowded retail space because you've got Shell um, um, buying, um, have already got a presence after buying at ERM and wanting to be a very major utility in Australia. You've got Iberdrola, um, which is the former Infigen Energy, but now it's got this massive Spanish energy giant behind it. Um, um, NL Green Power, um, not a very small company at all, big Italian energy giant. Um, we revealed recently that it's also after a retail license. So you've got these big international players like multi-billion dollars, but, you know, t- multi-tens of billions of dollars in market value, uh, multi-tens of gigawatts in sort of overall capacity, looking at Australia not just as a place to build renewables, but also to create a, um, a, a substantial retailing operation, largely targeting industrial and commercial customers, but if they're after PowerShop as well, not only, obviously, at um, households as, um, as well. Look, I think the space for a very large, uh, fully green retailer, I've thought that for ages. You can actually turn it, you look at Origin, you know, and uh, uh, or AGL, they're, uh, even the new AGL, they're out there trying to sell themselves as, as, as not coal generating, but they, they really don't walk the walk. But anyway, that's for another time, uh, Giles. I think... Uh, uh, we should wrap it up. <laughs> we should wrap it up. Let's do that. Let's wrap it up. Um, thank you very much to Jeff Dimley for joining us um, today from Alinta Energy. Um, Thank you, David. Thanks to everyone out there listening to this podcast. And, of course, in particular, thank you very much to our sponsors, um, Evergen and Pylon, for your continued and ongoing support. And uh, we'll be back again with another great guest this time next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.